If you're comfortably able, would you remain standing to honor God's word, which comes to us from 1 Kings 19, beginning at verse 9. At that place, he came to a cave and spent the night there. And the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. He said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there was a voice to him that said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they are seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel, Hazel as king over Aram. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, as prophet in your place. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. How many of you uh, arrived this morning just maybe a little bit discouraged? How many of you arrived this morning just a little bit disillusioned with how things are going in our world? Show of hands, just a couple. Um, how about in your own world? How about in your own life? Maybe a little bit of discouragement, disillusionment about the way things are going, how they're turning out. Maybe even a tad bit of depression about how things are turning out. Maybe they're not turning out the way you thought or the way you hoped. Well, that's where we discover Elijah this morning. We discover that Elijah is discouraged. The great prophet of God is discouraged. He, he's feeling down. He is, he is trying to make sense of what is happening because it's not what he thinks should be happening. You know, we've, we've talked about in this series that in the book of James, James says, Elijah is a man just like us. And I think we see that on full display in our text this morning Today, he's down. He's discouraged. He is disillusioned with how things are going. But God's going to show up. Let us pray. Lord, may these moments be um, filled with the voice of your Holy Spirit that speaks your word, your eternal word. And may our minds and hearts be opened so that you may be our teacher. We humbly ask in Jesus' name, amen. Now, we're going to need a little bit of context. You have to remember where we have been. Remember, there was that great showdown on Mount Carmel with Elijah and the prophets of Baal, and there were 450 prophets of Baal and Elijah, and Elijah, there was a challenge to call down fire from heaven, and the prophets of Baal had their altar set up, and they prayed, and they danced, and they did everything they possibly could, and nothing 
And Elijah prayed to Almighty God, and you remember fire from heaven came down and it burned the altar. And in that moment, it was seen so evident and so clearly that the God of the Hebrews was, was there and he, he did what he said he was going to do. He was revealed. It was an incredible moment. It must have been the high point of Elijah's life because he had set the stage for this to happen and it did happen the way he hoped and prayed it would happen. God showed up. God was victorious. All the things were happening and Elijah must have thought at this point now, now we're on the move. Now we're going to start the revolution. Now wrongs will be made right. God has begun something and it's about to happen. Let's get it done. Let's have it right now. And after that showdown, we, we learned that things happened fast. The sky blew black, wind-driven clouds, and then there was rain. This is what they've been waiting for. God provided rain. And Ahab, the king, the evil king, is hightailing it out of there. He can't get out of there fast enough. Back to his capital city. But Elijah was faster. Elijah also went back to the capital city as fast as he could. Got there in front of Ahab, the king, and Jezebel. Probably because Elijah thought, well, now he's going to be overturned. Now the city's going to be retaken. Now the country's going to turn back. Now everything's going to be started. Elijah must have thought, I want to be here to see it, this revolution where God is going to be back on the throne and the people will worship him. That didn't happen. That didn't happen. The people did not turn. Jezebel, the evil queen, did not back down. In fact, she, she put out a warrant on his arrest and his head and on Elijah, threatened to kill him, said, you better get out. By, the, by tomorrow, you'll be dead, Elijah. Elijah had to leave town. He had to head out into the wilderness. He had to walk into that wilderness thinking, why is Ahab still king? Why is Jezebel still doing what she's doing? Why are the people, they saw what happened on Carmel. Why are they not turning? This is a dangerous place for Elijah to be in. And I think Elijah's in a very dangerous place. He was so confident of, about what he thought would happen. He was so sure about the things that he thought should happen. And I, and I imagine that Elijah at this point is about to be so full of his ideas and his plans. His certainty that he's forgetting God's sovereignty. And that's a difficult place. And it's a dangerous place to be for Elijah and for us. When we start thinking, this is the way my world should go. This is the way my world has to turn out. This is the way my country should go. It has to go this way. And when it doesn't, we're disillusioned. We're setting ourselves up for maybe even depression discouragement, all of those things. What we're discovering in this text this morning is that God will not be put into a box. This God will not be tamed. This is a living God who will do what God's going to do in his ways, with his timing. But Elijah doesn't agree. Elijah has a different understanding. He has different ideas about the timing, about what should happen. He's tired of the injustice. I mean, I, I, it's hard to blame him. He's tired of what's been going on. He wants it to end now, but he's forgetting that God is in control. In the middle of this, God is going to provide two things for Elijah, and I think they're two critical things for you and I as well. 
It's what I need in my life. It's what I think you need also. Two critical things when we're disillusioned or discouraged or maybe even depressed. And the first is you and I need to be reminded that he is a living God, a surprising God. Always has been, always will be, is today, tomorrow, and before. This God will act under his ways and his timetable. In our text, we learn that Elijah walked for 40 days and 40 nights all the way to the mountain, that sacred mountain of God, Mount Horeb, sometimes known as Mount Sinai. <clears throat> and when he got there, he crawled into a cave. It was, it's technically, the word is a cleft in the rock. He's in between two rocks in this very narrow, narrow place. And, and Elijah went to sleep. And then the word of God came to him. So Elijah, what are you doing here? Which is interesting. Doesn't, don't you notice that God is always asking questions? He knows the answers. <laughs> but he's asking questions. Jesus is always asking questions. But he wants us to say it out loud. He wants us to articulate it. Maybe in that saying, we will discover some things. Elijah, hello. What are you doing here? Elijah said, you know what? I've been working. I've been working my heart out for you. The God of angel armies, I've been working. I, the people of Israel have abandoned your covenant, destroyed your places of worship, murdered your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. Do you hear the tone? Elijah is throwing a big pity party. I'm doing my part, God. Doing everything I'm supposed to do. By the way, doing it by myself. No one else is doing it. No one's getting it. Everyone, it, he's complaining. He doesn't like the scene. He doesn't like what's going out, going on. In a way, he's having it out in a, maybe a passive-aggressive way with God. I did all this and nothing. The only one left. By the way, he's not seeing, right? Because we learned a few weeks ago, there, there's a whole lot of prophets hiding out and there's more than Elijah can see, but he can't see anything right now other than his own circumstance, his own situation. So then God told him, all right, go stand on that mountain at attention before God and I will pass by. We've heard this in the Bible before. Moses, this is the same mountain. Go stand there, Elijah. It's time for me to show myself to you. And then a hurricane wind ripped through that mountain. It shattered all the rocks before God. But God was not to be found in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but God wasn't in the fire. But then, after all that, came a gentle and quiet whisper. And God was in the whisper. Now, we need to be a little bit careful in how we interpret this. The text does not say that God didn't create or wasn't behind the earthquake. It doesn't say that he wasn't behind causing the fire or the wind. He certainly did. But it says he wasn't in those things, but he was in the gentle, quiet whisper, the voice, which is surprising we would think that the Holy God would arrive in a big, mighty way. And oh, by the way, sometimes he does. 
You see, sometimes God has shown up in the form of fire. He, he came to Moses in the form of a fire. He came to the early disciples at Pentecost in the form of a mighty wind. He was in that wind. He can come in big, loud, forceful ways. But to Elijah, he came in a quiet whisper. It's as if God is saying, I know what you expect. I know what your mind has conceived of the way things ought to go, or the way I ought to act. So I'm going to surprise you here. To you, Elijah, I'm coming in a gentle whisper. And I want you to be surprised by that because I'm going to be surprising to you. And God's going to show up in a surprising way in your life as well. Not in its predicted not as we prescribe or always wish or want, but in a unique way. We see this through the Bible. God surprises. God can come to Moses in a fire. He deals with Moses in a burning bush. With Elijah, it's a gentle whisper. When Lazarus died, Jesus came and Mary was there. And with Mary, Jesus began to weep and cry when Lazarus died. His sister, he wept, wept with her. But with Mary, he gave her a theological education on the, the doctrine of the resurrection. Mary got tears. Martha got a lecture. It's the same God dealing with people in different ways. You know, a quick, quick way to depression is to look around and think that God is giving more favor or showing up in a better way to that person than to me. He's dealing with someone else better, but he isn't dealing with me but he deals with us differently. See, Elijah was saying, God, you got to get rid of Ahab and Jezebel right now. It's clear. It's obvious. That has to be the plan. has to be. What are you waiting for? But God's not going to be in the loud earthquake, as you might expect, or nor the hurricane force winds, as we might expect. It's going to be his timing. He's going to do it in his way, and maybe it'll be a gentle Whisper. About four years ago, there's a church called Bethel Church in Northern California in Redding. It's a big church. And there was a two-year-old girl in that church who was rushed to the hospital for a medical procedure. And it was a kind of a dire situation. And that whole church began praying for this two-year-old girl. Everyone, they put the word out. Everyone's praying, 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 praying. And in a wonderful way, she was, she recovered she recovered and the church celebrated and it was wonderful. About a year later, one of the, a two-year-old daughter of one of the worship pastors stopped breathing and she died. Two, both two years old. This daughter of the pastors died, stopped breathing. And this church decided this cannot be God's plan. It can't. God isn't about death. God's about life. And so they put the word out. Yes, we understand she's died, but we don't believe it. And they ask everyone to pray fervently for her to be raised from the dead. And they put out word to all churches everywhere to pray for her to be raised from the dead. And they prayed day and night. This went on 
for four days, five days. If we pray fervently enough, if we say it with enough passion, you understand the message they're sending. If we do this, if we do all the things we have to do, then, then God will. But he didn't. Because that's not the way God works. We can't put God in a box. God will not work when we find the right formula. There's a mystery here. See, that's wrong theology. It's bad understanding of God. And as tragic as losing a daughter is and the grief, I, I can't even imagine the grief that's in that. But, but we still, on some level, have to have an understanding of this God. And it's not easy following him all the time. Elijah wanted a big burning bush. He wanted to get rid of this. And could you please do this and this and this? And God says, you're going to have to trust me. I know what I'm doing. And it may be a surprise to you. We can't put God in a box. We can't dictate to God what God must do and has to do. And that church had to wrestle with all these things. And then, then they went through that difficult process of having to rework. This is what we thought, but this didn't happen. Instead of having the grief-filled period of just trusting in God, but praying to him and trusting him in the middle of all that. We, we learned this when we, when we read the book of Job. And Job went through so much loss and so much. And at the end, finally, we hear the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Meaning when he gives, when he restores, praise his name. But also when he takes away, praise his name. He is God. He's a living God. If we don't know that, we don't trust that, it's easy to be disillusioned because We'll be spending a lot of time asking why. Why isn't he, he did it here? He has to do it here. No, 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 no. Friends, our hope is not in fixing this world. Our hope is in the return of Jesus Christ when all things will be made right. Our text reminds us that this is a living God, not to be tamed, but he's good. You and I need to know that. We need to be reminded of that. The second thing that Elijah receives, and it's also what you and I need to receive, is work. When you're disillusioned, when you are discouraged, maybe even depressed, what, what you need is something to do, good work to do. And God always provides that. He always gives that to us, and he gives it to Elijah. So God, after all this said, Elijah, go, go back the way you came through the desert to Damascus. When you get there, I want you to anoint Haziel. Make him king over Aram. Now, this is surprising. Heziel was a pagan king. I mean, at this point, Elijah's throwing his hands up there going, I, I don't get it. Seriously? I, I thought you wanted me to do your work. You want me to go bless that guy? He's in a foreign king kingdom. He's a foreign. He's, I, really? It's, again, once again, God's surprising saying, Elijah, you don't understand by the way, I can work through pagan gods if I choose to. I can do good work over there. You just can't see it. So I want you to go. I want you to go anoint him. Then I want you to anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi. Make him king over Israel. Okay, now this one makes sense. I've got another work for you to do. I want you to go anoint Jehu. And he's someday, 
not under your timing, Elijah, but I'm going to go ahead and anoint him now. And he will be king and he'll be much better than Ahab. Praise God. And then he says, I want you to go and find Elisha. He's going to be your successor. I want you to work with him. God gives Elijah three tasks, three good works to, to do. Not what he expected, but work nonetheless, surprising work. I want you to anoint these people. I want you to train this successor. Friends, everyone in this room, all of us, are given work assignments by God. You're getting one today, always, at all times. God says, I am going to run this world. I'm going to fix this world in my timing. I'm going to do all that I'm going to do. Now, I want you, I need you to work with me. I've got jobs for you to do. I was um, so taken a couple weeks ago. I was sick. I had the flu. And so I was at home on a Sunday morning. I'm never home. There are television shows on Sunday morning. I didn't know this. I've never seen any because I'm never home on Sunday morning. But I was watching a news program Sunday morning. I was just so sick. And I, all I could do is just lay there. But on CBS News, maybe some of you saw this. I think they maybe showed it a different. Well, hopefully you didn't. You were here. You didn't see it. I saw it. <clears throat> but they had this news program. And they... Um, did a little, it was a tiny little simple story about a 76-year-old man named Danny Chauvin. He is from Waveland, Mississippi. He's a Vietnam vet. And this is a picture of him right here. He lost his wife and he was grieving. And then he was also struggling from, with PTSD from the Vietnam War. It was still with him, all of this. And he was sitting at his kitchen table and he was sitting there just full of grief and, and all the things, depression, disillusionment, discouragement, all these things that, that we have, that Elijah had. And then he started to think, and maybe I like to think, maybe it was a gentle whisper that came into his ear. Maybe there was a gentle whisper that said to him, what do you miss? What do you miss doing? And it came to him, the number one thing he missed was when his wife asked him to do things. His favorite thing was to repair things for her. The honeydew list. He, he missed that so much. What I loved was the satisfaction, he said, of my wife saying, could you help me and do this? And then he loved doing that. He sat there and thought about this and he thought, well, what the heck? And so he posted a note on Facebook that said, if there's any honeydew jobs that you can't handle, I'm willing to help. That's all it said. I mean, who does this? If there's any honeydew jobs that you can't handle, I'm willing to help. And it spread. It spread like wildfire. So now on a daily basis, sometimes four times a day, he fixes the hole in his heart by fixing just about everything else puts up a shower curtain, hangs a porch swing, fixes a closet door, all for free. Most of his clients are women. Many of them are widows or single moms, and they now call him the honeydew dude. <laughs> they call him. He comes over. He fixes he doesn't charge. 
He shows so much kindness to people, one of them said. He does this every day, and he's healing. Why? He has good work to do. It's kind. It's loving. It's caring. When the work is done, the only thing he requests, no money, is a photo of his customers to remind him that he's not alone. He says, right now I've got a lot of friends, he said. So maybe you're wondering, what work has God given me to do today? Well, here's the best news of all. Every one of us in this room right now can name five people that we know. Five people. The work? Love them. Make a decision. Love them. Do it for free. Expect nothing in return. Do it in a surprising way. Do it in, in ways that are maybe even shocking. And maybe the one of the people on your list is like this pagan king, like, no way am I going to bless him. You know, you know how, Lord, you know how annoying that person is? No, I don't even like that person. And why are you giving me that name? There's no better work. There's no more important work in this world. Jesus said so. What is the most important commandment? Love your neighbors. That's it. We don't have to fix the world. We don't have to fix Ahab or Jezebel. We don't have to make this into a Christian nation. We don't have to fix our workplace. Love five people. Expect nothing in return. Do it for free. That's the good work he's given us to do. And it's a way to pull us out of any discouragement or disillusionment. Maybe we might say these are small acts like a, like a gentle whisper. Good news is in heaven, we're going to have two things to do. You ready? Same things. Trust the living God. Give him all glory. And then serve each other. Look out for each other's welfare. We prayed earlier in this service. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. What we were really praying is we want up, up there to come down here. It can start today. It can start right now. And oh, by the way, in heaven, depression will be no longer. No disillusionment. No discouragement. We will spend every day praising God and caring for each other. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the way you come to us in surprising ways, shocking ways. We thank you that your timetable is good and perfect and right. And that you have promised to fix all things. Lord, we thank you that you have given us good work to do your work here where we live, here in our church and in our community, in our workplace. We pray for your strength. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.